Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to another episode of Why Would You Tell Me That? Not just another episode, but the very first episode of Season 6. Jesus, I never thought we'd get to Season 6. Neither did I. We now have 12 listeners. I mean, no, we have definitely have more than 12. Okay. We, we have 12 listeners and two of their parents. Because they're just yes. monitoring what's appropriate and what's not. <laughs> it's great to be back isn't it I'm genuinely it excited by the stuff that we are going to present to the world at large in this uh, in this season I found out by the way we've always talked about whether it's season or series oh, yeah. generally it is seasons so it says six seasons and the whole thing will be the series Oh, that's the actual technical difference, apparently. Yeah, I don't even know which. I can't remember which one I always say, but I know it. Or it's the one you don't want me know, to say. It's always uh, the more American one. That you oh, would season. Yeah, season. Yeah, you would always go season, and, I would, and that's I would, why you yeah. say airplane. Yeah, and sneakers. as opposed to aeroplane. There's no O in the middle of airplane. There is spell. So airplane is A I R A I R P L A N E, P L A N E, and the yeah. other word is aeroplane. A E R O. P-L-A-N-E. Are you the same person that says aeroport? I went to the aeroport to get <laughs> no, an aeroplane. No, that's an airport. <laughs> you go to the airport to get into the aeroplane. No, see, I <laughs> yes, can't be doing do. that. Yeah, sorry. You, you, take, you take your wax cylinder off. You get into your jalopy. <laughs> you have the man stand in front of you with a red flag in case anybody would get knocked down. You have your driver drive to the, wherever the local dirigible is. <laughs> In the <laughs> airport, and then you fly Hindenburg willing to wherever you want to go. Is that that's that's it? Yes, isn't it? almost that. Do that while while eating a delicious bar of bubbly air. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Dave Moore. So if people haven't listened to this, we've done five seasons. Get on board. Do you know what else? I'm going to start getting bored. The great thing is, you. This is not one of those podcasts where, well, if I haven't heard, ep, you know, season five, episode ten, I can't yeah. listen to season six, episode one. All of this stuff is, and I use this term that we use in the industry. It's all evergreen content. In other words, it'll get stuck in the Suez yeah. Canal. <laughs> yeah, you can listen to season two, episode five, followed by season three, episode two. Followed by season five, episode 11. It doesn't matter whatever order you want. As soon as you see a topic or a headline that you go, oh, that yeah. sounds vaguely interesting to my needs. Boom, jump in. Have a bit now, of Now, if you do do that way, you're deranged. You need to see some <laughs> sort of psychotherapist. But you can if that is your want. Totally, totally. So we look at things. We look at uh, people that sometimes that you suggest. We look at stories. We look at trivia. We look at facts that Dave once said. We should know, but that we don't know. Yeah, we and, probably uh, don't know. It's your these turn things. to tell me something amazing this week. It is. It? I've got something amazing for you, Neil. Okay. Uh, I'm going to tell you about a man named Dan, whose okay. severed arm was kept in a deal, and went on a tour in a circus and ended up in a pub in Mead. Oh my good God! <laughs> so he had a very famous arm. Obviously, this man called Dan. He did have a very famous arm, but. Uh, there's so much around this story to, to be explored in part two. I don't want to give too much away now, but Dan Donnelly is his name. Okay. We're going back hundreds of years when this fellow was knocking around Dublin, uh, particularly around the Docklands. Made a name for himself. Yeah. Passed away. Yeah. 
then things get interesting. Okay. After he's already made a name for himself and passed away, if you know. What oh, I mean. there's so much. I mean, how did the people get the arm? What, yeah. what, how did they make his name? Uh, was he some sort of pre-slap machine? Slap machine? I mean, I really didn't know. <laughs> what? Why was there one arm? Why did it go on tour? I mean, there's so many questions. Yeah, uh, yeah was we, he some sort of like normally that is reserved for someone very holy? Yes, and it's a relic of someone and gives a rub of the relic. And uh, yeah, that's rub- not quite where we're at with this. I will okay. absolutely assure you of that. Okay, but, brilliant. Uh, well, we'll talk about Dan and everything to go to do with Dan uh, in part two. But in part one, I thought I'd kind of stick with the area of you know famous limbs and things like that you know because we're going to talk about that with dan of course yes of course yes so horatio nelson now i am no historian neil yes so straight away you'll nod your head i'll go usually go horatio nelson i've heard of him Mm -hmm. but he is somebody i have heard of he is somebody i do know but i don't i didn't know the interesting details of his life now maybe you maybe our listeners do but what do i know about horatio nelson i know that he had a column that was no longer in dublin and that he had one arm. That's kind of all I really knew about him, right? Yeah, yeah. So here's the thing, right? Famous one-armed man. He was shot in the right arm by a musket ball, which just sounds like a delicious dessert, but it isn't, um, while taking part in a failed assault on Santa Cruz in Tenerife. So if you've ever been to Tenerife, Maybe yeah. you've been to Santa Cruz. You, you do what you have to do to get a sunbed, Dave. Yeah. Clearly, <laughs> clearly the German dude has gotten up slightly earlier <laughs> and has a musket. Yeah. And Horatio didn't expect that coming. He, he didn't. But apparently he's supposed to have said his humerus was completely shattered, right? Like absolutely right. in bits. And he was uh, seen to by the doctor on the ship. Who was suppo- and he's supposed to say to him, doctor, I want to get rid of this useless piece of flesh here. And so the doctor then amputated his arm there and then without anesthetic on the ship. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did he bite down on something? Did he? D- please don't answer that question. Um, <laughs> actually, now that I think about it. Lonely nights at sea, Neil. Lonely yeah. nights at sea. We're in the Navy and there's various songs about that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so this is Nelson as in Nelson's Pillar, which was in Dublin, which is blown up. And then Nelson's Column, which is in uh, obviously in, in Trafalgar Square. Yeah. So they cut off his arm. On when the suppose, ship. I mean, what, like, what, like, there is no anesthetic those days except a bottle of rum and a bottle of brandy really isn't that's there? it yeah and like you said put a piece of leather in his mouth and um, have a great time I mean get cut off his arm yeah <laughs> <laughs> my safe word is Trafalgar 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 no interestingly though he also suffered a different injury where he lost the sight in his right eye yeah in a battle of Corsica about three years earlier uh, he was shot again this fella had a habit of getting shot uh, he was shot from a French sniper actually and the shot ricocheted and debris just flew into his right eye, yeah. uh, leaving him almost blind. Right eye and which arm? Right arm. Okay, right. But we're going to explore the origin of a phrase here because it is said, and I, I use the term it is said because a lot of times you don't have exact proof of these things. Right, but he was given, he was uh, on an invasion of Copenhagen, the siege of Copenhagen mm. in 1801. And he was given an order to cease attacking the enemy. But Horatio Nelson, being Horatio Nelson, had seen an opportunity to push home an advantage for the British. So he needed to basically figure out a way to ignore the order, which you can't do. You know, you're in the military, you're in the Navy, your superior gives you an order. So he held up the telescope to his blind eye, (laughs) looked at it and said, I have earned the right to be blind in this situation. We press on, gentlemen, or whatever he said, to motivate the troops. And on they went. And the siege of Copenhagen was very successful. And that is supposed to have given us the phrase to turn a blind eye. Really? Now, it is said. As it they is say, said. It, is, it said. is said by Dave Moore. No, on no, this no, 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 no. This is said. This is said okay. by historians. This is said by... Look, I mean, I'm sure if people are, you know... History is written by the victors and all that. I'm sure people who are fans of Horatio Nelson would like to attribute this to him. We don't have any proof of that, but it is supposed to have uh, given the phrase to turn a blind eye. Well, I mean, I do know that the the Battle of Copenhagen, there's so much damage done to the city of Copenhagen during the Battle of Copenhagen that the Danes had to rebuild. Now, they were able to, around the same time, they found uh, plastic mines, rich seams of plastic, in in the Danish Jutland Peninsula, 
right. and they brought it from Jutland all the way over to Funen and all the way over to Zealand, which I think is where Copenhagen is. And they were able to mine so much plastic, but only in very small blocks, right. very small blocks, that yeah. they were able to rebuild all, <laughs> all of Copenhagen. A tiny little tiny. Yeah, plastic yeah. blocks and that that came from that time as well <laughs> again it is said <laughs> it is said yeah. they are the only plastic mines ever found actually i don't know amazing. if you know this amazing yeah, yeah. and yeah. There's, i know i mean it's a tough it's a tough being a plastic miner was very tough in those days a lot of people <laughs> had plastic lung and uh maggie thatcher in in england <laughs> smashed the power of the plastic mines i don't know if you know this no i didn't hear oh that. yeah a lot of, a lot of yorkshire like a lot of fame like say if if you know if you grew up in in, in northern england you'd have to go don't mind right would you go down mine in copenhagen or would you go down mine in yorkshire because presumably there was no plastic there well, no, a, if you look at actually, the, I've never heard of Yorkshire Lego, Neil. Not if you once. ever looked at the geological uh, seam, it actually runs from Copenhagen <laughs> before the sea levels rose all the way to North Yorkshire. So, yeah, absolutely. So, you've got to mine for to mine plastic in um, <laughs> in Copenhagen, but also in Yorkshire. And the worst thing, of course, is that if you missed your shift or anything like this, or yeah. you didn't, you had targets. Of as much plastic as you could, you, know, you had to get raise a certain amount of plastic. Yeah, yeah. You know, and if you didn't do that, the punishment was you would have to take off your shoes and socks and walk around <laughs> on the, the blocks that the other blocks people that mined. had actually mined the by more productive mined miners. Blocks. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Difficult times. Difficult times. Difficult times. A lot yeah. of people. I mean, we're we're here to uncover the stories that people literally have not heard about until. <laughs> We've made it up. So it up. please, please, we need to caveat the things we make up because some of the stuff we say is so unbelievable, but it's actually yes. true. In this okay. case, none of that is true. Okay. Um, Horatio Nelson did die um, by, again by a French sniper. I don't know if you knew this, Neil. So when he was shot at the Battle of Trafalgar, uh, he was shot at sea. And yeah. he was obviously a famed general and he was to be given the send-off that is befitting of uh, a man like him. So they had to mm. get his body back to Britain. But, it, like, there was a lot of time involved. The ship needed to be still involved in the battle for a while. So they put his body in a cask of brandy. What? They put his dead body in a cask of brandy. They He's lashed a- the cask of brandy to the main mast of the ship and placed it under armed guard until they could dock and take Horatio Nelson off the ship. How will we preserve this body of, if, if you're British, a, a naval hero? Should we treat him the same as a Christmas pudding? Yes, I think we should. I think it is what we would have wanted. And at the end, let's give him a Viking burial and, and set him on fire as he is soaked already in the petrol fumes and the, the brandy that we have provided. They didn't, thankfully, but that is how he was. his body was kept preserved until they got home and, and, and gave him the, the burial befitting of him. Wow. And it, was, it wasn't without con- controversy. Some people did think he should have been buried at sea, uh, you know, as a, as a seafaring general and all that, but no, he wasn't. He was brought home in a cask of brandy. How would you like your body to be preserved after the inevitable creative differences caused me to murder you in the podcast? I respect you enough now to to uh, I to will fulfill, fulfill my dying wish. wish. Yes, having yes, yes. killed you, knowing sure. that it is a crime of passion in the Absolutely. French kind of sense. Okay. Absolutely, I would expect to be placed in a casket at least twice my width, girth, okay. twice my width, and for that to be filled yeah. uh, around around my now prone corpse. Yes, uh, with tiramisu. <laughs> <laughs> That, that is what oh, I would expect from you. The eulogy. I would do such a eulogy for Dave, for Dave Moore. Dave Moore, in many ways, picked me up. And talking of the Italian phrase, pick me up, this is the tiramisu. Also, Dave had many layers. And that is why we have picked tiramisu here today. His bottom layer was soaked in brandy. <laughs> I think that would. He was not a man to be trifled with. Um, <laughs> I think that would be lovely. And Wouldn't then, it? and then, like we could have a proper kind of military funeral, but instead of f- lads firing, you know, over the uh, coffin, over the coffin, rifles, yeah. it would just be a sprinkling people. of a sprinkling of chocolate dust. <laughs> I, cho- I was no, no chocolate dust is when you know when you grab the first bit of clay. Yes, like in, you know, in American funerals in films, which yeah. really dramatic. And they throw, they throw like a rose and then some clay. 
The clear would be chocolate. Obviously. Obviously, right? Oh, and then we really, we get lads to really, really specifically fold a napkin rather than the American flag <laughs> and, and hand like a triangular napkin to your grieving widow <laughs> who's already with her distur- disturbingly young tennis coach, right? Sorry, and just to clarify, because this is a funeral, because yeah. this is a sad day and because I have um, yeah. worked hard enough to, to, to get this honour, would yeah. it be a, a linen napkin or would it be a, oh, linen. just like torn off a, a roll of like kitchen roll? Ah, no, linen linen napkin okay. because we want the fold, you know, the very specific of course, military the kitchen fold. roll's not going to, yeah. No, gonna, no, 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 no. And no. then, um, but I was thinking rather than rifles, you oh, know, yeah. just six people, just, you know, those icing bags. Yeah. And they just have to really try and get the Bellagio fountain of icing out <laughs> over your body. This is actually, I cannot think of a better way to be sent off, if I'm honest with you. I've always thought about that. You know, when you watch that in films, do you think anybody ever, act, like there's a, you know, he, he died, but uh, he was a great man, military man and all the rest. And they fire over the coffin. Um, but the guy like loved, say, bird watching and they accidentally shoot like six geese that happen to be flying over yeah. at the same time. I always wonder is it blanks ever anyone I presume they're blanks, but I always wonder when anyone fires in the air, yeah, is the bullet when it reaches its kind of its the top of its arc and turns and makes its way back down, yeah, is it ever traveling at enough speed to kill someone random like some at another funeral or <laughs> I wasn't quite picturing that, maybe. But, you know what I mean? You see that thing, like, for example, sometimes in the deserts of, of the Middle East, you'll see a load of lads out there with their AK-47s and submachine guns, whatever, and they go, yeah. yeah, just shooting them in the air or whatever. Yeah. And, and they're obviously shooting them away from the party, away from where yeah. they're having a ball. But is it possible? Is it just that maybe they're, they're shot with such force that that's the lethal part of it, but by the time it reaches the arc and then makes its way back down to Earth, that it probably doesn't cause an, any real damage? Well, I wonder about these things. Like, I, I also wonder about, in a similar vein, do you know when people were, there was a spate of people firing lasers into mm. aircraft? Yeah. Which is really dangerous. But can you imagine if, say, you had just a one pilot who was about to go in for corrective eye surgery? <laughs> right? And then some little ne'er-do-well accidentally fires a laser completely correcting their vision. <laughs> he has a series of complex mirrors up around the uh, the, Straight the into his eye. of the plane. Yeah. Yeah, taking all the lasers. I mean, it's unlikely, but it's I mean, unlikely. can you prove it never happened, Dave? No, no you can't. <laughs> um, let's go on to more people. Okay. If I asked you for a famous amputee rock star, yes. I suspect... I have one in my head straight away. You might go straight away to... Def Leppard drummer. Rick Allen. Yes, the drummer Def Leppard unfortunately lost control of his Corvette on a windy road by be, for, after being annoyed by a couple of guys in an Alfa Romeo. Lost control, crashed the car, and the seatbelt severed his right arm. And he thankfully made a recovery sufficient that he was able to rejoin Def Leppard. He was never not in Def Leppard, but yeah. they took a hiatus after the accident. He came back, and with electronic drum kits, he played the drums with one arm. Still their drummer today. That's cool and everything. Rick Allen, great story. Everyone knows that. But I don't know how many people know the story of Tony Iommi, okay? Okay. So Tony Iommi is the guitar player in Black Sabbath. The guitar player? The guitar player in Black Sabbath. Black Sabbath are arguably the inventors of heavy metal. Obviously, Black Sabbath had you know, influences before them. And without the influences, we wouldn't have had Black Sabbath. But Black Sabbath are probably modern day heavy metal. They were the first band to really hone a sound that made us all think of what heavy metal is today. Obviously, Ozzy Osbourne, the singer, very famous. Okay. But Tony Iommi uh, is an accident that happened to him age 17 is quite possibly the reason we have the sound that Black Sabbath created. Okay, so go with me on a story for a second. Okay. He's 17 years old. He's been working in a sheet metal factory in the north of England because okay. he couldn't get a job down at Lego Mines. Down Lego Mines. He couldn't get that. So he got he got a job in Meccano Factory and he was making Meccano. <laughs> <laughs> wow. We're really giving the 80s kids a run for their money today. <laughs> so no, he was working in a sheet metal factory and he was it was his last day mm. because he was he, he had handed in his resignation because he was going on tour 
with his band. Now, it wasn't Black Sabbath, it was another band. But this is what he was doing, 17 years old, going on a tour of Europe. And he went home for lunch because he lived nearby. Yeah. And he joked with his mom at lunchtime. He said, ah, look, it's my last day. Like, I might as well not bother going in. She's like, you'll get out there. You'll go back to the sheet factory and you'll do your job because you're a good kid and blah, blah, blah. Northern English. He went back. Someone else had not returned after lunch. So he got moved off his station because he's only 17 and put onto the guillotine station. Yeah. Killing French royalty. (laughs) For cutting sheet metal. But the guillotine came down on the fingers of his right hand. Yeah. His ring finger and his third finger. Or sorry, his middle finger and his ring finger. Okay. He pulled back in horror, as you would do, as you see this giant guillotine coming. And that meant that the fingers, the tips of the fingers, were completely severed. Right. Okay. So he now has, I mean, you know the the devil horn sign for for heavy metal he pretty much has that okay all of the time not the right. origin of the devil horn sign but pretty much has that okay yeah so the two tips of his fingers so he goes into hospital obviously and the doctor said look you're you're never going to play guitar again you know like you don't sorry i should also point out he's left-handed which means his right hand is the one that's on the fretboard that does all the widdly widdly and the up and yeah. down and but, that's the one that's gone that's the, the one that's gone. If it was the other way around, if I lost the two finger tips of my two fingers on my hand, I could probably still play exactly the same way because I tend to use a, a pick, a plectrum, and you just keep it between your thumb and your first finger. So it's fine. My left hand does all the work. So yeah, so flips that for him. Look, all he's ever wanted to be is a guitarist. All he's ever going to be is a guitarist. So his life is turned upside down. He's severely depressed. His manager kept Adam to come back and play guitar. He's like, I can't. I've lost my two fingers. I can't do it, whatever. He sent him a Django Reinhardt album, okay? Jazz guitar player. Have a listen to Django. Pretty impressive, right? Very, very good. Django, two fingers. On his guitar playing hand, only a two fingers because uh, he was in a fire, a very bad fire, and lost that. So his manager sent him the Django and said, if Django can do it, so can you. And Iommi was inspired. So in order to play the guitar, he fashioned his own fingertips. So he made what? thimbles. He made thimbles that he used a melted down fairy liquid bottle. Yeah. And two pieces of leather that he cut out of his own jacket. And he stuck them on the top of the stumps yeah. of his fingers. Because yeah. look, he, if, you, if you think about the knuckles, he had the two knuckles on your finger. It was only the tip that was missing. Right. So he made the tips, covered them in leather, and then found that he could play the guitar, you know, not as well as he previously could, but he could play the guitar. He had trouble bending the strings. Okay. Okay. So when you play guitar, in order to kind of slide from one note to another, you, you have frets on the guitar and each one is a note, but you can go from, say, the fourth fret to the fifth fret by just bending the fourth and the string gets shorter and the note goes up. So you go fourth to fifth, you do it that way. Oh. And that was that's the thing you need to do as a guitar player. Okay. He had trouble doing that. He also had trouble kind of feeling the strings. So in order to get the bends going, he he used lighter gauge strings. So strings are gauged. They're, they're thin pieces of uh, wire, obviously, which you can, you can get different gauges and some are heavy, some are thin or whatever. He went for the lightest ones possible. Then he also tuned his guitar down to slack slacken the strings even more right. so that he could do the bending and do everything he wanted to do. And this is what gave Black Sabbath their sound. They have this no way. boomy, tuned down, dark sound that came from the fact that Iommi's fingers were gone and this was the only way he could play guitar and feel good about it. So in other words, had he not gone back that day, had he not had this unfortunate accident, which we obviously know he overcame and, and, and used, and we can make this joke, obviously, because because of they've done so well, there's no good time to get the tops of your two fingers severed. But as a teenage boy, I would suggest it's even worse than any other part of the time of your life. Right? Yes, I would agree. But, but if that accident hadn't happened, we have a different sound from Black Sabbath entirely quite possibly so now in a recent enough interview in 20 i think it was 2016 he did say his biggest regret in life is losing the tips of his fingers and i think oh, okay. the reason there probably is because it was still limiting in certain that was limiting regards. in terms of how 
accomplished a guitar player he could be. Okay. He's probably one of the most respected guitar players out there. Yeah. But there's no doubt that he is not one of the inverted commas best guitar players. Okay. And I'm sure, obviously, losing tips of your fingers is a fairly traumatic experience. Uh, and yeah, so he regrets it. But look, that's still the, the circumstances. Yeah, the circumstances, yeah. as as unfortunate as they were, they gave us the sound of Black wow. Sabbath. Yeah, it's phenomenal. That is top quality fact-telling, Dave. Really. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'm proud of that one. And of course, it brings in heavy metal, which I'm always a fan of. In fact, let's have a little bit more of Black Sabbath. Let's get into modern prosthesis, though, for a second, right? Okay. So... Nowadays, like we're moving into the future um, when it comes to prosthesis and particularly like large limbs. So legs and arms are excruciatingly expensive to manufacture and to give to patients. So, for example, like an arm can cost a hundred thousand euro, right, for a prosthetic arm. Yeah. 3D printing, Neil, is changing this because it can be done so quickly and so easily and so exactly that the previously costing 100,000 euro prosthetic arm can now be manufactured for as little as four grand. Wow. Yeah, that's absolutely incredible. God, that will really, that will really revolutionize everything, won't it? It will, yeah. But there's a couple of things I found out about prosthesis that, and amputations that are kind of shocking to me. Number one, 77% of all global amputees are male. Okay. And I, I don't know why, so we can speculate, but I don't have any facts to back it up. Uh, well, if there's anything this podcast is about, it's that sentence. It's unbacked up speculation. <laughs> yeah. Um, is it because we are, men tend to have higher tolerance for risk and therefore when it goes wrong, you know, are we, we're the combatants as well? I mean, landmines, I would have thought. Were... This is where my brain went. My brain yeah. went, okay, like factory work, like, you know, things like huge yeah. machinery and all that is number, in my head would be number one. Conflict, I would think would be number two. Driving. Neil, Neil, Neil. The number, in fact, 75%, three quarters of all global amputations yeah. are caused by two things, cardiovascular disease and type 2 diabetes. No way. Three quarters of all amputations. Wow. Isn't that insane? I mean, yeah. I mean, you see, obviously, particularly, I didn't realize uh, it was as prevalent as that particularly with mm. cardiovascular disease but yeah that is one of the things to say about type 2 diabetes that you know you could lose a limb you could you go, could you yeah. could lose your sight but 75 percent, 75 percent. so why quite why it's me i mean you know there is obviously a higher prevalence of cardiovascular disease in men mm. so i'm assuming that these are correlated but again like i said i have no backup to any of this this is just uh, stuff I, I figured out over the last couple of days uh, looking into this interestingly you like this neil the oldest known prosthesis is over three thousand years old gotta be egyptians um unclear actually okay but what body part do you think it was nose nope ears nope um it was made from wood and leather chin <laughs> incredible guess uh jimmy hill chin for jimmy. Second, jimmy jimmy hill had no chin for the second part of his life he had no chin he had a, his chin sheared off he, as, as a younger man say, say, in this podcast i don't know who our target audience is but if you don't know meccano and Jimmy Hill. <laughs> you are going to be sorry. We're sorry. It's either Jimmy Hill or Bruce Forsyth are the quintessential chin, chin references. And if you can come up with a better one since they're <laughs> passing on, give okay. it to me now. I've got one. I've got one. Go on. Same era, yeah. Desperate Dan. Okay, well, Desperate. Yep, yeah, that's fine. He was more Lantern Jawed rather than the pointy chin. Reese <laughs> yeah, Witherspoon is the only other kind of person who's famous for their chin. But Jimmy, no, Jimmy Hills had a fake chin for the second part of life <laughs> because he went to Blackpool one year and he was taking those photographs where you stick your head in. You know, there's a, a cutout. Oh, yeah, 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 and yeah. And it's, yeah. it's a painting. And he put his head in one of those and a passing unicyclist took his chin clean off. Oh, clean off! I didn't realize. <laughs> clean off, and because oh, it was wow. his his signature look, he replaced it with one made of wood, 
balsawood unusually and leather but only calf skin because goat skin was very rough on his skin i see i know i'm afraid i'm afraid i'm gonna have to just call horse bollocks on all of this <laughs> okay so let me go back to that so somebody had a wooden and leather prosthetic and it was yeah and I, I will give i will give was you having, it, done, having done having done some more research i will give you the egyptians well, and you're, the Egyptians? Yeah, and you're in the right you're in the right ballpark with foot. Okay. Foot. Toe. <laughs> okay. It was a big really? toe. A big toe. And to be honest with you, it actually has a name. Hang on. The Greville, I presume it's named after the person who found it. The Greville Chester toe or the Cairo toe. Now a Cairo toe sounds like either a cocktail or something you don't want to get while on holidays in Egypt. Greville toe sounds like what you what you get in a hotel in Mullingar. <laughs> There is one person of a certain age from the Midlands of Ireland who is loving this podcast and nobody else understands yeah. anything else. Um, okay, final thing I have for you is an amazing thing, right? So with amputations, in fact, with people with spinal injuries as well, phantom pain I've is a this. real issue. Yep, okay, yep. so phantom pain, if, in case anyone else hasn't, is when you experience pain, even though the limb is not there, you experience pain in the limb. Or if, for example, if you have a spinal injury and you're paralyzed, you may still feel pain in your legs, even though you can't feel your legs. It's this crazy neurological thing. Hmm. However, there's a lady called Karen, and she lost her arm 20 years ago in a farming accident. And she experienced excruciating phantom pain for years. She, like It was like her arm, even though it wasn't there, was constantly in a meat grinder. So her oh arm was just God. severed just below the elbow. And the rest of the arm, absolutely fine. No pain up at the shoulder, the bicep, the elbow joint, none. Pain in a non-existent arm. Like, this is what she had to deal with. And was on painkillers. They obviously had huge side effects that affected her mental health. She was given recently an artificial arm that's fused with her own bones and her nervous system. Okay? Mm. So electrodes are implanted into her nerves and her muscles. And then this tricks the brain into thinking that it knows it's not her arm. It knows it's not the arm she always had, yeah. but it tricks the, ner the neural pathways into thinking, but there's an arm there. So while, so while she has all the advantages of a prosthesis, she can grip things, she can pick things up, she can function with two arms and all that kind of stuff. She now has eliminated pretty much all of the phantom pain, which is neurological, not physiological, because the brain is sending the signals back to, to its her arm and back to herself going, yeah, of course it's fine. There's an arm at the end of the thing. It's, it can't be stuck in a grinder because it's there. That's amazing. So the, one of the other treatments that I've seen for that specific um, case as well, not, not that specific case, sorry, that specific condition, is so somebody had the same same situation, um, phantom pain in a limb that wasn't there, mirrors. So there is mirror therapy and you put a mirror there and the yeah. brain, so it's tricking the brain into thinking that the limb is still there. And that is one of the things that is used to treat that as well. That's because amazing. isn't it amazing? Yeah. The, the way the brain works like that is just absolutely amazing. Right. Well, that's all my prosthetic stuff. We're going oh, to get yeah. on to Dan Donnelly's arm in part two with, and I'm going to describe her like this because it's from her own Instagram, an aggressively optimistic and annoyingly curious digital creator is <laughs> Jane Casey who's going to tell us all about Dan Donnelly and his amazing arm. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Right, welcome back to part two of Why Would You Tell Me That? And we are joined now by, and I quote from her uh, Instagram biography, aggressively optimistic and annoyingly curious digital creator and historian, Jane Casey. Jane, how are you? I'm good. I'm probably uh, annoyingly curious and annoyingly optimistic as well. (laughs) But you are curious. And I have to say, it is the style in which you do uh, the little snippets of history around Dublin and around Ireland that really intrigued me. And when I heard the story of Dan Donnelly, and his his arm and the journey it went. So your your job today is to tell us about Dan, his arm, how it ended up separated from his body, went on tour in a circus, and then spent years in the pub in Meath. So I think I'll just wind you up and let you go, and we'll just interject whenever <laughs> we have questions. So who was Dan Donnelly? This story I actually didn't know much about it until maybe six months ago or so. I mean, I kind of it's kind of like legend, you know, mm. like. You kind of know the name, but I didn't really know the ins and the outs. And it was only when I was researching Bully's Acre out in Kilmainham. So yeah, what this is an area of Kilmainham is behind the jail. So it's just beside the hospital, the Royal Hospital Kilmainham. Okay, it's it's actually on the grounds. But basically, what it was was a a mass grave. Uh, They say actually one of the biggest in the country, Um, and it was the last resting place of thousands and thousands of poor Dubliners, basically who couldn't afford. A funeral or mm. you know, proper burial uh, and it was also rife full of grave robbers oh we'll, we'll get onto the grave robin that's for sure yeah we'll get there we'll get there so yeah so that's how i discovered this so this led me down a rabbit hole which is usually what happens when i am curious about anything i end up about <laughs> five hours on wikipedia so it led me on to the story of dan donnelly daniel donnelly so he was born in 1788 and he died at the age of 31 in uh, 1820 but in those 31 years, he became the stuff of legend. Mm. So he was born in the Dublin docks to quite a poor family, but he quickly got a name for himself for being something of like a vigilante. He was a very well-meaning guy. He wasn't going starting for fights. Right. He was finding them. And he would often step in when there was rival gangs feuding or apparently he found a dead old woman who had died of a fever and he picked her up brought her to a graveyard found a grave that was being saved for someone of of no nobility or something like that and decided to take it upon himself to bury her in the grave uh, himself so wow it's he, mad. he found so a that, woman and she died of a fever and no one could save her and that was the end of the poor old woman <laughs> was she selling cockles and mussels <laughs> We're going to have to fact check everything we all say on this show for the rest yeah, of the no, Now my brain is like, well, maybe that could have been inspiration. Um, what was one thing he did? Uh, another thing he did was he uh, he got in, or I think a woman was being attacked by two sailors down by the docks and he stepped in and saved her. But in the fight, he got his arm all mangled. And luckily, some local surgeon was able to save it, which is kind of gas and kind of... Yeah, considering everything else that, that's going to come in the story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Dan Donnelly had this name for himself as kind of a local hero and really good with his fists. He was a good fighter. So he started traveling around fighting people, essentially, in what was boxing back then. Mm. Now, it was very different to what boxing is now. 
boxing. I, I gather there wouldn't be much in the way of rules when it came to this. There was some, actually, believe it or not. Right. But for the most part, it was bare knuckle boxing, like brutal stuff. Fight until someone can't go on. So he, he got a name for himself as being a great boxer. And actually, it said that his arms were so long that they went down past his knees while he was standing up. <laughs> so all the drawings and depictions you'll see of him, his arms are almost down to his ankles. I presume that must be some kind of, you know, like almost like a nickname, like a legend. Like, in other words, like, I'm sure he had a really long reach, as they say in boxing terminology, but I doubt very much his arms were down, his hands were below his knees. His father was from the Docklands and his mother was from Borneo. And <laughs> some sort of orangutan-based creature came out in the middle of the night. Yeah, but he definitely did. He is just picked that way, so he definitely did have a really long reach. He did, and that's exactly it. Like, for anyone listening to this, take out your phone right now and look up Dan Donnelly. <laughs> It's bizarre. So he, he got this name for himself as, as this kind of like local champion. And I guess to put it into political context, at the time, Ireland was, you know, we're occupied by the British Empire. Mm -hmm. We were in between famines. So we had the famine of the 1750s and then the famine of the 1850s. So it was like the height of British oppression. And of course, we had a couple of failed uprisings. Yes, well, that's right. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, there was a massive divide between the British and the Irish, obviously. So around that time, a lad by the name of uh, George Cooper came over to Ireland with his promoter and they were traveling around Ireland, um, teaching people how to box and challenging locals, trying to show off. I was going to say, George Cooper is unlikely to lose to a local Irish. He's just taught how to box. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you can't hit me. That's the weird rule. <laughs> I get two swings first and then yes. you have a go. Yeah. Whoever is from England uh, wins. <laughs> exactly so he heard about uh dan donnelly and that he was that he was the guy to beat so if you can imagine right there's a match football boxing whatever it is now i'm not a big sports fan but i'm a fair weather fan when ireland are playing england even sure. now yeah i've a lot of mates who are english a lot of my family and stuff live over there but there's just something ingrained in us that when ireland are playing england even the eurovision for god's sake Yes, we delight when it's Royaume-Uni, nul point. Exactly. So if you can imagine, take what we feel now back then in the height of English oppression. So they had a match down in, would you say match? Fight? Boxing bout. match, yeah. Bout. Fight probably. Or bout. Bout, yeah. Bout. The extent bout. of my boxing knowledge is Dan Donnelly and I'm a Bray woman, so Katie Taylor. So okay, that's, that's fair, that's fair. So uh, they he challenged Dan Donnelly and they fought down in, it was at the time called Belcher's Hollow in Kildare. Uh, it was a natural amphitheatre, mm. uh, so people could gather around and they were fighting in the middle of it. And people came from miles and miles around all over the country in their horses and carts. They say up to 20,000 people came to watch the fight. 20,000 people in 17 whatever. From all over the country. Right. You know? Because it was really more than just that. It was like a, a symbol. You know what I mean? Yeah. He was a national hero and he was, I guess, the only potential uh, victory like, we were going to have. Yeah. yeah, victory. So people came from all over and it was an 11 round fight. But our Dan Donnelly beat Cooper with a right hook. And Carola, Dan Donnelly. Yup, Donnelly. <laughs> and everyone went nuts. Everyone went nuts. They say they could hear the, the shouting and screaming from every end of Ireland. People were going mad. Like, again, imagine if Ireland had won Italia 90. <laughs> we did. We, didn't we? Well, yeah. The sure walking thing we heard about is proof that we won Italia 90. Yeah, yeah. After we got knocked out, we won it. Yeah, in the quarterfinals. In the quarterfinals, yeah. yeah. yeah Morally, I think we, uh, think we could say we definitely won it. Well, I mean, we still talk about it 34 years later. So. <laughs> true, true. So, so we won. So it was absolutely massive, right? Right. So after that fight, Donnelly retired. He's never going to... He peaked. Done. So he, he quit boxing. And over the next couple of years, he developed a reputation for being a bit of a drunkard, a womanizer. He owned a few bars, actually, a few pubs. Uh, one of them being Fallon's Capstan Bar in Dublin 8. So that's that was his. That was his. He was the okay. proprietor at one point in time. I think around probably around eighteen seventeen, eighteen. Right. Okay. Okay. I guess he had a little bit of money from winning the fight. He pissed that away. He became very ill. He was drinking a lot. 
uh, and he died in 1820. He died at the age of 31. He apparently he never did. I don't know if you know this. I do remember one Dan Donnelly fact. He never yeah. got to see the profits from his famous lean, mean, fat reducing Dan Donnelly machine. <laughs> um, he had a Dan Donnelly grill. But people oh, weren't ready for that. They weren't at that time, no. No, no they, mainly because it was lar- Ireland was largely affected by famine. and ele- Electricity was tough to come by. Electricity, very difficult. Yeah, and yeah. the Samsung family had yet to move here. <laughs> so he was ahead of his time in lots of ways. In lots of ways, yeah. Yeah. So he died at 31, very sad. Yeah. yeah. He passed away, unfortunately. That's when things get really weird. And this is perhaps the thing that Dan Donnelly's most famous for arguably which is weird because like he has a monument to himself down in that place you said where the fight was that was renamed donnelly's whatever you said it was called initially it was renamed to donnelly's Belter's hollow there you go so now it's donnelly's hollow then it has like a monument the, the the footsteps he took after the fight away from the monument away from the the fight area were dug out and preserved and even today if you go and visit it there are footsteps dug out of the ground that are supposed to be Dan Donnelly's footsteps. So this guy, as you said, Jane, was an absolute hero. But his life isn't even getting interesting until this point when yeah. the poor fella is dead and buried. What happened next, Jane? Hold on, hold on. There's footsteps dug out in County Kildare where the match was. And these are apparently Dan Donnelly's footsteps. Allegedly so, yeah. They've preserved them to this date. So do you know the way outside shops when we had COVID, this is how far you have to stand bes- behind somebody. And there was little <laughs> footsteps. <laughs> 200 years before this happened, <laughs> people knew that this was going to be useful. This is That's amazing. why, Neil, that is why the tradition persists to this day. Yeah. That when a piece of footpath is dug up yeah. and then re-cemented by the council, the kids have to go in yeah. and stamp their feet in it. It's in honour of Dan Donnelly. Yeah, and, who's, and, then, and who is this guy who, who says Anto was here who always yeah. signs his name in the wet cement? Is that connected to this as well? I think he was Dan's cousin or something. Dan's yeah, cousin. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> Sorry, Jane. And maybe I can come on again and talk about the phallic doodles in um, all of the <laughs> as well. Yeah, that's phallic great. doodles is an amazing name for an Edinburgh show. I have to say. <laughs> that would be my drag name. Phallic doodles. Phallic doodles would be my drag name. I would go see your drag show if, if, if it was called Phallic Doodles, I would be there in, in a Ladies in a and gentlemen, for one night only, Miss Doodles will perform <laughs> her greatest hits. <sighs> ba, 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 okay, we, we really okay. have to get on to the interesting part of Dan Donnelly's life. Okay, so he's dead. He's buried, Presumably he's buried in this place Bully's Acre you're telling us about, is he? Yeah, he, he had a, a pretty uh, poor person's funeral. He was just mm. thrown into a, a giant pit, essentially. Oh, wow. Um, but a couple of days later, about four or five days later, grave robbers came down to steal his body. Now, they don't know if they just grabbed his body, realized who it was, and then decided to sell it off to the highest bidder, or if they were actually working to order, which sometimes happens. Oh, was that a thing? Wow. Grave robbing to order. So grave robbing is mad to me to think that it actually wasn't that long ago but bodies would be stolen um, and sold to colleges and professors and stuff so they could learn anatomy um so they needed fresh bodies so it was a really lucrative lucrative business to be in i suppose it's so weird isn't it something so like desecrating and obviously illegal is the the way the medical community learned how to save all of our lives nowadays they had to go through all of that surgery on when they just weren't able to get cadavers in the way they can nowadays. But like, it's, just, it's always been so weird to me that they had to just rob them and sell them to like the, the very well off and the very intelligent. It's bizarre. And and a lot of graveyards from that period have watchtowers. So like Glasnevin, there's another one in Monkstown. There's in fact, any kind of old graveyard to go into, have a look around and see if there's a, a watchtower of some sort. So that's what that's for. Yeah. Grim. Wow. Fascinating. Wow. So the tower in Glasnevin is a watchtower. Yeah, for, for grave robbers. There'd be watchmen all through the night. Like, Amazing. this was, like, when I say, like, this wasn't just like, oh, every now and then it happened. I mean, mm. this was massive. This was massive. The people robbing the graves, I mean, I know it's, you know, it's fairly desecrating there, but they're also, they're poor people. They, yeah. You know, they yeah, are trying yeah, to make yeah. a few quid. And the doctors who are not poor people are are scientifically curious. And that's why we get bark and hair and all the rest. So yes, it's, it's, yeah. uh, it's a perfect, um, the perfect combination of desperation 
for knowledge, desperation for money, and they're sure they're dead anyway. Dave, I'm 100% digging you up and sending you to science. 100%. <laughs> After you bury, bury me in tiramisu, which is something we discussed in the first part of the show, We've Jane. We've discovered don't worry about a new blood type. It's caramel, which is <laughs> Anyway, we must get on to Dan Donnelly's body being dug up out of Bully's Acre. So he was dug up at Bully's Acre and he was sold to a professor in Trinity um, because he wanted to study his his exceptionally long arms. Here there we you go. go. This guy had the body, was doing his thing. And another couple of days go by and he gets a knock on his door. And it's a uh, mob, unruly mob of Dan Donnelly supporters. Oh, so think like um, pitchforks and. Uh, right. Torches. Simpsons-esque. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Exactly what I was picturing in my head. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they turned up at his door and they said, what are you doing? This is our national hero. You can't desecrate his body like that. So there was a bit of a negotiation at his front door. And they came to the <laughs> they came to the compromise that he would give the body back as long as he, they could keep his right arm to study. So Wow. So they said, okay, that seems fair. <laughs> <laughs> Easily appeased mob. That seems interesting. Yeah, okay. So they took his body back. I, no one knows where his body, the rest of his body ended up, probably back in Bully's Acre. But his right arm went on a wild trip then for the next couple of hundred years. Okay, so this is the early 1800s. His arm is now the uh, is owned by this surgeon who is studying it, but it doesn't stay there. It doesn't. Not really, like, for a very short time, it's with his surgeon. So what he did was he painted it in uh, lead paint, which oh. gave it a ready colour. It was to preserve it, I guess. Okay, okay. Maybe they didn't have access to formaldehyde or anything. Mm-hmm. I don't really know. Um, but he painted it in lead paint and sent it over to, I think it was the University of Edinburgh or whatever was the big university there at the time. And it was sent there for a couple of years to be studied by uh, students. From there... It ended up in a traveling sideshow as part of the circus. So like a Victorian circus. Because you know Victorian circuses are Yes. Crazy. Yeah. Oh, we've talked about the mad yeah, definitely. stuff we've had, yeah. Mad. So can you imagine this arm was just like next to the bearded lady? It was crazy stuff. So the arm traveled around Ireland and the UK for another while, a couple of decades, I guess. Then it ended up look, it it's it's Changed hands, excuse the pun, loads of times. <laughs> but it ended up in a pub in Kilcullen, I believe, in Kildare called The Hideout. And right. was on display for years. I actually was talking to a friend's mum the other day who's from that area. And I was talking about Dan Donnelly's arm. She was like, oh, yeah, in The Hideout. Sure, Jesus, I used to drink there all the time. There it was. So <laughs> it was just like, was it like framed up on the wall kind of thing? Can you imagine? If you can imagine, like a real. No, it's just certain points. It was like the, <laughs> do you know the Adams family? It would come along, you know, thing the Adams family. It would yeah, come yeah, along, yeah, yeah, and it'd have four or five pints of Guinness because it was a huge arm. <laughs> yeah. On each, yeah, on each finger, and he... Neil, I don't know how you knew that. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> That's exactly it. There's photos. It's, it's it's what I would do if I had hand on his arm. <laughs> So it's just there. Like I love the way Irish people are just just don't mention the fact that there's a severed limb on the wall because oh it was there God. since they started drinking when they were twelve. Well, that's exactly it. And like, if you again, if you look it up, anyone listening to this, please just Google Dan Donnelly's arm because it looks like it was put in like a makeshift like glass mount. Like it looked okay. like someone just made it in their garage, like found like an old skateboard and like flashed some like perspex glass on top and. Like, it's so silly looking like. And if, if you're listening to this from the US or from the UK and you're unfamiliar with practices in this country and you think we're exaggerating, I suggest you look up uh, St. Peter's Head in Drogheda. <laughs> Sorry, Oliver Plunkett's Head. Oliver I think Plunkett's it's head. in Peter's in Drogheda, isn't it? Yeah. Um, which we all used to be sent to as children on school tours. Go and look at the de- decapitated desiccated head of a man who died for his faith hundreds of years ago. Now, now you've seen that, shall we go to Funtland? (laughs) (laughs) That is what we used to do here. So this is not that weird story. So it stayed in a pub then for years. For years. And then I think what happened was the owner of the pub sold the pub and everything in the pub went into storage. And it ended up in, I think, a basement or an attic or something for another decade or two. I think... It got to the pub in around the 1950s, and I think it was the 1980s that the pub was sold. 
and uh, it just got lost. It was just in a oh, no. box somewhere. So do we not know where it is now? Hold on. Ah. Years later, there was uh, uh, another Donnelly, some American distant relative, very rich man. He learned about his family history, all that, and decided to launch a nationwide campaign to find Dan Donnelly's arm. And some lad found it in his attic and was like, geez, I have no idea. No idea. Sorry about that. Uh, And gave him the arm. And now it's over in the States. It's now in a proper mounted, lovely box. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because that makes it fine to hang on your wall because it's in a proper nice box now. Well, it's something, Dave. It's anything. Look, we're pushing at straws here. Imagine if he sent the arm to the US, right? And they did the, the tests on it and it wasn't Dan Dundee's arm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, some other, some other arm in that. his attic. Coat. He never oh. boxed a day in his life. That did cross my mind as a worry because, you know, Irish people, we like to embellish a story a little bit. So, like, yeah. it hasn't just been anyone's arm and somewhere along the way, someone told a fib that now oh. we're talking about it too. Oh, this American. Uh, yeah, I'll sell you I'll sell you your, your, your dead cousin's arm. I have it here <laughs> in the Absolutely. Yeah, I have it here. Yeah, don't, don't look at my son. Don't look at my son. <laughs> don't ask. The, the sling is completely irrelevant. That, to that's, this not a, that's not a cow's leg. That is not a cow's leg. <laughs> that is a man's arm. <laughs> that is a man's arm. He was, he was in league with the devil and that's why there's a hoof <laughs> at the end of it. That, that's why. What what an episode of the Antiques Roadshow this would be if you turned oh up. Oh my god, that is some arm. very posh person going, What is this a constable, is it? And then it's just you. <laughs> Give us a second here. I have, I have to get the lead paint off the humorous. <laughs> oh amazing. So Dan Donnelly's arm now resides in America. I think Dan would be quite proud of the fact that 300 years later we're still talking about his arm it's now traveled across the atlantic it's something that he would only have dreamed of in the early 1800s true and actually it did do a tour um around like boxing museums and there was like some sort of like fighting irish oh right of course it would certainly feed into the the legend of the fighting irish that's for sure yeah i find this this is the most offensive thing about this entire podcast that dan donnelly's skeletal arm has toured america and i haven't yet (laughs) that is an insult and and an indictment of the current visa process if i may say so a lead paint smeared body part has more access to an American audience than Neil. Yes. And is probably, if current reports, would be a better host of the next Golden Globe Award <laughs> Fair. than the previous ones. Wow. Um, let's talk, uh, apart from Dan, very quickly. Now, I don't know if this is true or not, but there is a phrase we all use in English called chancing your arm, Jane. Yeah. And I'm going to chance my arm here and say that this phrase has originated in Dublin. Uh, not at the time of Dan Donnelly, but can you give us the, the the alleged story about this one? Alleged is right. Now, there's two competing theories. One, what the Irish believe, and one, what the English believes. Right. Um, but I like the Irish one better. I've heard this on a, from a tour guide, I think. Let's see if we've heard the same thing. Basically, this phrase, chance your arm, is in, like, to take a risk, like, mm. chance your arm. Supposedly, it comes from the late 1400s. I think it's 1492 in Dublin, in St. Patrick's Cathedral. And I actually used to live right beside St. Patrick's Cathedral and right. I regularly and earwig on the... On the tour is a brilliant idea. Yeah, yeah. No, for, an annoying, for an annoyingly curious digital historian, that must have been amazing. <laughs> oh, it was brilliant. Are, like, you a, are you a digital historian because you mainly do stuff about arms? And <laughs> that would be correct. That is my special interest. Yeah. <laughs> Anything from the fingers up and you, Jane, are the woman to talk to. Well, this is it. I've got a video coming up of Michael Collins' thumb. Which will be okay. Used. Yeah. No, that's a lie. I saw David. <laughs> I was really excited about that. Jane has just played us expertly at her own yeah. game. Yeah. Okay, so chance drive. So 14 something. Yeah, 1492. And around that time, the Normans were in charge. So hmm. um, if you remember your uh, secondary school history, which I never did, the Normans came in the year in the 1200s. So that was the first start of the English occupation, I suppose. They were the first people to come from over there. So there was two Norman, Anglo-Norman families called the Butlers and the Fitzgeralds. Fitzgerald. Yeah. yeah, the Butlers and the Fitzgeralds. And they were feuding um, over which family would hold the title of Lord Deputy, which was a very, you know, right. prominent position, I suppose. Yeah. 
Um, so they were feuding over that and it got very violent and bloody and they were basically beating the heads off each other. <laughs> Fitzgerald's ran down to St. Patrick's Cathedral for sanctuary because, as you know, if you're in a church, they can't come in. Oh, yeah. Um, as I know from Hunchback in Notre Dame. <laughs> Disney version, obviously. I have not read the book. Um, so they, the Fitzgeralds locked themselves in St. Patrick's Cathedral for refuge and the butlers were outside trying to get in, trying to get them to come out. Fitzgerald said, look, this is mental. What are we doing here? So they decided to extend an arm of peace, of reconciliation. So the leader of the Fitzgeralds, which was Gerald Fitzgerald. See, Great name. Fitz is like son of Gerald. So his yeah. dad was Gerald too. So he decided to cut a hole through the door and put his arm through to show the butlers that he was serious about peace. And he, he put it through, chancing his arm. And uh, it didn't get cut off. And the butler. So, so that, that presumably was the chance. The chance was this could literally be severed as soon as I stick it outside. Correct. Yeah, right. literally chancing his arm. So uh, he extended the hand of peace and the butler said, ah, he must be serious because we could easily cut off his arm. Um, so they, they reconciled. And now the door is still in St. Patrick's Cathedral. It's called the Door of Reconciliation, creatively named. And does it have the hole in it? It has the hole in it. A lot of people commented on my video that there's a door of reconciliation in uh, the basement of Arnott's. Um, so I don't know about that. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's it. It's still there. Jane, can we wrap up very quickly with the story of a, a drink that will probably only mean much to our Irish audience. But in fact, Neil and I in part one really kind of drill down into our Irish 80s audience. So this is kind of fitting, I think, that we wrap up on this. But there's a drink in Ireland called Rock Shandy. And it's a drink that many people of I certainly know a lot of my friends associated with the morning after a great night out uh, and that you need to wake up in the morning and get yourself a rock shandy. First of all, what is it? Second of all, where did the name come from? Yeah, this is a great one. I actually love this one. This is my party piece. I wish I didn't put this on the internet. <laughs> so rock shandy is a mix of lemon and orange. So mm, um, yeah. for anyone not in Ireland, that's what a shandy is. A shandy is essentially just a mix, basically, of drinks. And uh, it's absolutely delicious, absolutely delicious. And it's been around for years and years and years. And you're right, you do drink it after a night out. My brother actually lives in Canada and his friend from Galway, who also lives over there, bought him a bottle of rock shandy for Christmas. No way. I'll show you how much we prize it. So back in the 1950s, Black Rock had uh, very famous baths. The runes are still there. They're just by the dart station. So mm. Black Rock and came to Dublin. And these bats were um, one of the most popular bats in the country. There was plenty of swimming competitions on there, world championships and stuff. People would come from all around. And the Black Rock Swim Club trained in that, in the bats. And they were a very well-known swimming club, swimming team. So they would train on Sunday mornings. And after training, they would stroll up over the dark tracks or what would have been train tracks. And they'd walk up to the village and go to Jack O'Rourke's pub, which is still there. Uh, it's been open for years, by 200 years. And they'd go in and their favourite drink was a mix of orange and lemon. And lemon. And lemon. So they would ask for a shandy of orange and lemon. Now, interestingly enough, the one of the, I think actually might have been the captain, but definitely one of the members of the swim team was a man called Frank Murphy, who was the, the MD, I think, of C&C Group. So they make drinks. Yes, yeah, so famously CNC are a company, Cantrell and Cochrane, because for some reason we had to know that in the 80s. It was part of your yeah. exams in school to know what CNC stood for. Um, but yeah, so they made like only a handful of drinks, Club Orange, Club Lemon. And then they said one day, I always assumed, that, let's lash these two into a vat and see what we get. And they got Rock Shandy. But this is where it comes from instead. Yeah, and that's exactly where it comes from. And they didn't have a name for it, so they called it Rock Shandy, Black Rock Shandy. Black Rock, Rock As Shandy. Rock yeah. Wow. Phenomenal. Send us, send us two points of uh, <laughs> oh, the shenanigans going on here. Absolutely amazing. I've got lemon. I've got orange. I've put them together. Oh, my God. I'm a revelation. Uh, Jane, this has been absolutely fascinating to learn of Dan Donnelly, his exploits in uh, in life and then afterwards as well, what his arm did. Thank you so much. And come here. How can people follow you and and get as much uh, of this curious history as they can yeah so you can get me on instagram it's at janecasey.ie and i post videos i'm kind of obsessed with it every couple of days 
anytime I see anything new, I post a video about it. So they're great. That's where I found you. And I absolutely think people should follow you. It's fascinating stuff. And look, I live in the area that you're constantly telling me about and I'm learning things every day. So if you're listening from further afield and you want to get a sense of the history of Dublin and of Ireland, this is definitely the way to do it. So, Jane, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Jane. Thanks for having me. Welcome back to part three of Why Would You Tell Me That? Neil, Dan Donnelly, Chance in Your Arm, Rock Shandy, and Jane Casey. Pretty good recipe. Wow, that was great. I mean, Dan Donnelly's arm going around the world is kind of amazing. I love that sort of stuff. I love those weird little things that end up in a Victorian circus and then (laughs) on a wall in a pub in County Kildare. So great. Oh, brilliant. And Dan Donnelly, in fairness to him, the first time I had ever heard of him, was through mm-hmm. Jane's Instagram. So I think an Irish hero, I know he didn't live maybe the best or longest life, but certainly sounds like what he did in the early part of his life and uh, being a bit of a, a Robin Hood around the Docklands of Dublin and then, you know, beating the British in a couple of boxing matches. Dan Donnelly needs to be remembered. So that's fascinating stuff. That is fascinating stuff, yeah. So thank you very much to you and to Jane for bringing us that. What have you got for us next week? We are going to look at the link between Cleopatra and the Arc de Triomphe. Okay, wow. Mm. All right. I, you didn't I, see that I, coming, I will, did you? I will be here next week for that then, for sure. Right, Neil Delamer, thank you very much. Welcome back, everybody, to season six. Why would you tell me that? Woohoo! Woohoo! And I am on tour. Please come. <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.